Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. On Sunday, we continued our study of the book of James as we looked at the rich and the poor and showing favoritism. And so buckle up, because it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, we had an awesome Sunday and a powerful message. Ashley Darrow brought a great message last Sunday. How many of you loved that message last week? And I've gotten words all week long of people telling me just the, the impact that her message made in their lives. And so, um, so yeah, if you missed it, you can go to the, the Fam Church app. Um, and uh, if you don't have that, you can download it from iTunes or the Google Play Store. And it's in the podcast section. Um, or you can listen to it on a podcasting thing. If you don't know what a podcast is, you probably don't have a phone that can handle that either. All right. And you can also go to Facebook. Uh, yeah, you can take that out. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and watch the video there. And the audio on the Facebook feed is kind of hard. It's hard to hear. We're working on that. We're just trying to get a system set up so that we can get the audio into the camera uh, for that rather than it coming through the sound system. And so, uh, and so this morning, uh, or two weeks ago, we broke down verses 5 through 8 in chapter 1 and then verses 13 through 18 in chapter 3 as they were both on the same subject matter of wisdom. Today we're going to do the same thing and that we're going to read a couple of verses from chapter 1 and then jump over into chapter 2 as James elaborates on his initial comments that he makes in chapter 1 in chapter 2. All right. And so to set this whole thing up this morning, let's talk about favorites for a while. Let's just have a brief conversation about favorites. Have you ever been in a place, in a situation, where one person was a favorite over another? Like maybe you worked at a job. And there was that one person that everybody liked at that job. And so they didn't have to do all the crappy jobs, but because you weren't one of the people that was liked, you got to do the jobs nobody wanted to do. Has anyone been there or had that happen in their life? All right. Okay, so how about this? Maybe it's your mom and dad. We've talked about this before. Maybe your mom and dad have a favorite child and it's not you. Okay, and so you've got the favorite child that gets everything, and you get nothing. I mean, that was the story of my life. I'm not going to go into that. My brother was the favorite child. He was the golden boy. Steve, if you're watching right now, you know it's true, so don't even talk back. All right. Um, but, you know, we all have, we've been in situations where we see favorites. Well, you know, when Dana and I go out to eat, we have a recurring issue when we go because she always wants us to have a male server. The reason for that is that whenever we get a female server, she feels like this person fawns over me and makes sure I have everything that I want or need, and they completely ignore her. So, listen, I thought she was going to be in kids' church today, so I didn't even tell her this was coming. So, so they'll ask me, is your steak cooked right? And they'll completely ignore her. They'll come after my dishes are empty and they'll scoop them off of my play, or, uh, table and put them into the, wherever they take them for the dishwasher and they'll leave her dirty dishes sitting right there. On Valentine's Day, we had an interesting outing. As we, it wasn't on Valentine's Day, it was a Saturday after at lunch and we were at Longhorn. And uh, we like Longhorn. Longhorn has good food, but we had a female server. And so we're sitting at this table and uh, we usually get waters to drink, okay? And so I've got a water, she's got a water. My water was about three quarters full, and her glass was completely empty. So the server comes over with a pitcher of water, and she looks at my cup and starts to reach for it to refill it. 
So I could see immediately the look on her face when the server reached for my cup when it was almost full. And so I stuck my hand out to try and stop her from grabbing my cup. Well, the server actually went into some sort of ninja matrix move to kind of go underneath my hand and up and over to get my cup. I literally had to point at Dana's cup and say, and she was confused. She didn't understand. She had no clue what the problem was until finally she's like, oh, her cup is empty. And when the server walked away, she was like, see, that's exactly what I am talking about. I told her that she needed to realize that this is the price that you pay if you want to be with me. Okay? She just had to realize the effect that I have on women. All right. So the last sentence was a quote from something. If you can tell me where that came from, uh, I got a $5 McDonald's gift card for you, but you got to tell me not just the name of where it came from, but also who said it, because I don't want someone coming up and guessing a movie or TV show. All right, but that last one was a, was a quote. All right. And so this morning, we're going to be in James, and we're going to be reading chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to be turning over to chapter 2 and ver read verses 1 through 13. And this is what it says in verse, or chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Then let's move over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and this is what it says. It says, My brothers and sisters, believe in our glorious, um, believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom as he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is not the rich who are the ones exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and as, act as uh, those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, so where do we start in all of this? I believe that the place that we have to start is we have to define some terms here because we hear some words rich and poor in there and we kind of make some conclusions and we try and figure out where we fall on that spectrum. Are we rich or are we poor? And so that's where I want to start off and there's one thing that I think most of us would say in this room is that we are not rich. I think most of us would conclude that. We look at our bank accounts, look at our house, look at our cars, look at everything else and we say, I am not rich. Mark Zuckerberg, he's rich. Donald Trump, rich. LeBron, LeBron James, rich. Bryce Harper is really rich, 
Okay, anybody who follows baseball, he just signed this $335 million contract. That's an insane amount of money to play baseball. But that's what he got. He's really rich, okay? However, when I hear those numbers, I know I don't have that kind of money so that I'm not rich. That means James is not talking about me in these verses when he mentions the rich. I am the humble one in humble circumstances. I hate to break this to you, but facts actually disagree with that assertion of what we just read. Do you know that we, the citizens of the U.S., are some of the richest people to have ever walked the face of the earth? Not just Zuckerberg or Trump, but me and you. See, the poorest American is still in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. That includes those who live off of, of government assistance, okay? They make more money than the majority of the world makes. One-third of the world's population lives on $2 a day. One-third of the world. That's less than $1,000 a year. How many of us in this room could make it on $1,000 a year? None of us could, right? Thank you. Thank you, Chris, and whoever over there is, 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 is talking back to me, okay? And what's even crazier, if we were to take what the average American makes and compare it to the history of the world, we would be the richest 1% to have ever walked the planet. The richest 1%. And so when James is saying these words, when he is saying something to the rich, he is speaking to me and to you because we are some of the richest people to have ever been on this planet. And the thing that we've got to realize is that a lot of times we think that being rich or having money or having all these material blessings is a high position in life. But what our text tells us this morning that it is in fact not the high position that we think it is. See, when we think of someone with money, we think of somebody who's important, somebody with influence, somebody who leads people and demands respect. But see, that's not what God sees. The more important thing here is that we understand why he does not see that. It's not because God hates money, okay? It's not because God doesn't want people to be rich. His concern is what happens to someone when they gain wealth. See, when people have money, it causes a mental shift in most of them. And we can see this in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and we're not going to read it, but I'm just going to summarize this, this parable that Jesus told. It's about a man who had great wealth. And so this man, he stopped and he said to himself, you know what, I've stored up all these riches for myself. I'm going to build bigger silos, put more money and grain and whatever else I can put into those silos, kick back, take it easy, and relax and be comfortable the rest of my life. See, what happened to him was this. He said to himself, now that I've got all of the wealth and material possessions that I want, I no longer have to have my faith in God because I've got all of the things that I could want. I've got the food, I've got the drink, I've got the easy life. And that's what happens to people. They move their trust from a God to, who will provide to how much their Bank of America app says they have in their account. And think about where the church in the U.S. is at right now. See, we are a church that in general does not see the power of God in operation on a regular basis. And for the most part, we really don't expect to encounter the power of God when we walk through those doors on a Sunday morning. 
When a family member gets sick, what is our plan? We call the doctor, right? We go to the hospital. We check our insurance to make sure it will cover all of those things. None of us call the church first and ask for the elders to come and pray. Instead, when we are sick, our faith is in the doctors and the medication that we can get rather than in the God who heals. Now, what I am not saying here is don't go to the doctor, okay? Do not hear that from me. Don't leave here going, oh, the pastor's telling us not to go to the doctor to just pray. No. Okay, God has given the doctors and the medicine and all of those things for us. But in places where people are poor, I mean really poor, and they get sick, they don't have the option to go to Watson Clinic. And if they don't like Watson Clinic, they don't have the option to go to some other place and some other doctor in order to get their illness cured. The poor also, when a family member is messed up in addiction and life-controlling circumstances, they can't just send them off to treatment someplace. See, what those guys have to do in that situation is they have to go to where they can meet God and the person who is sick, the person who is bound up in addiction can be set free. The only thing that they can afford is an encounter with Jesus. And the truth is, it's only when someone comes to the end of what they can do for themselves that they're actually able to depend on God. I mean, think about another event that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. It was about a woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years, okay? She had this going on, and what is the, the text in Mark chapter 5 tells us that she spent everything that she had and went to all the doctors trying to get a cure for what was ailing her. But instead of getting better, she got worse. When was it that she finally went to Jesus? After she had spent all that she had. When her money could no longer take care of her problems, her perspective finally changed. And here's what they found in studies is that the American church is very much like this woman. They've done a study over the American evangelical church, and I want to put some, I want to define that first because a lot of times when you say the evangelical church these days, all they do is think of a wing of the Republican Party, okay? That is not what the evangelical church is. That's not where the evangelical church got its name from, okay? Evangelical church started out meaning a church that believed that you had to uh, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior in order to go to heaven, okay? It was a church that believed in evangelism. It was a church that believed in telling people who Jesus was. And so we fall into that category here at FAM Church. And, but what they've done is they've studied recessions over the last hundred years in the U.S. and that they've discovered this. Every time the economy goes in recession, evangelical churches in America see a 50% increase in attendance. Then as the economy gets better, church attendance drops until it gets to a place where it's low, the economy goes bad, and then everybody comes back to church again. See, we live this very principle that this woman was living. When everything is good financially for us, hey, we don't got time for God and all that Jesus stuff that's going on on a Sunday morning. We have more important things to do with our life. But then suddenly when that's, uh, that, that faith and that money is shaken and gone, suddenly we got time for Jesus again. And unfortunately, that's the way we do it. But guess what? The poor don't have that option. See, when you are truly poor, the only option that you ever have is if Jesus comes through. 
Your family member is not going to get healed if Jesus doesn't do something. Your son is not going to be set free from addiction if Jesus doesn't do something. Your family is not going to make it if Jesus doesn't show up. And because you believe that, you prioritize being where you can encounter him. That's why someone in a foreign country who can only, who, who's relying only on God will walk 10 miles to get to church on a Sunday morning. Whereas if the weather here doesn't fit perfectly in our window of too cold for the beach, but, uh, but uh, too, too uh, you know, just, if it doesn't fit within that window, we got other things we've got to do. See, they know that they're not going to eat tonight if God doesn't move. We, on the other hand, we don't expect God to move at all. We have a few songs, a message, and then we go home the way we came in. It'll be the same thing next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, until we can break that stronghold in our lives and get our faith back to where it belongs in expecting God to do something, we're never going to see anything change. See, a truly poor person doesn't have the resources that us rich people in this room have to make their life better. They only have their faith, and that's why the poor are spoken of in James as one having a higher position. See, putting our trust in money and whatever money can do for us lowers our standing in the kingdom of God. God, however, wants us to understand that our finances may be gone tomorrow, but guess what? He is not going anywhere tomorrow. And so that's why it's far better to put our trust in Him because we know no matter what happens to the economy in this country or in this world, He is going to be there. He's going to be the rock. He's going to be the solid foundation. He's going to be the thing that we can stand on and plant our feet on knowing that He will help us to make it through. And we can only be great in the kingdom of God when our faith is in that spot, when our source of life is in the right place. I mean, this is what I saw. Um, I remember my first missions trip. I went to Juarez, Mexico, and uh, we went down there to actually work in the city dump. People actually live in the city dump in other countries, okay? You head out to whatever, Polk counties, uh, various places where they dump trash, you don't find people living there. Well, in Juarez, in a lot of third world countries, you find people literally living in the dump. They build their house out of whatever they can find. Usually it's pallets. They'll take a bunch of pallets, stack them together to make a box, take some cardboard or whatever else they can find in the dump, put that on the outside to protect them from the wind and the rain and the elements, and then they live in it. That's how they were living in the dump. And it's as terrible as you might think it is. They get their building materials from the trash. They pull stuff from the trash to sell and make money. They find their clothes in the trash. They find everything in the trash. The smell in the hot summer is brutal. However, these people that had houses made of pallets with cardboard nailed to the outside of it to protect them from the wind and the rain had some of the deepest faith that I've ever seen in God. They expected God to show up every time they walked through the doors of their church. And you could see it in them. I mean, they would walk in the doors, worship would start, and they would just be like, we're going to encounter God, and they would just start worshiping. They, would, they actually didn't have the, the church we were at. They didn't even have chairs in the sanctuary. Why? Because when worship started, people were dancing, they were jumping, they were having, you know, they were just worshiping, not worrying about anything else around them. Their hope was not in the Mexican government and they were going to do something for them. Their hope was not they'd be able to find a different job. They had no hope that they would purchase the winning Powerball ticket and things would suddenly change. Their only hope was that God was going to show up and because of that, 
uh, hope, their status is high in the kingdom of God. Now, I do want to clarify something. Is just because you're poor doesn't mean your status is high in the kingdom of God. And just because we have riches doesn't mean that our status is low in the kingdom of God. See, it's where we put our faith and trust. And as us, as, as people who have basically whatever we need at our fingertips, we need to be constantly aware of where we are placing our hope and our trust. We have to constantly be examining our lives and asking ourselves the question, are we putting our hope and trust in the dollar signs on our bank account? Are we putting our hope and trust on what the stock market is doing? Are we putting our hope and trust in all of those things? Or are we really putting our hope and trust and believing in Jesus for Him to do something supernatural? We have to look at the God that's above and beyond the resources that we have, and we've got to understand how important this is for our spiritual lives. We really have to get our hearts and minds focused on believing and trusting and having that faith in God above everything else, because when we don't, it really hurts us spiritually. And I have a feeling that that may be part of the reason the church in the West is losing its spiritual power. Because we've become so wealthy that we no longer need our faith and walk with Jesus for our everyday life. But that's the only place the true power comes from. Through our faith in Jesus. And so that's what James was getting at in that first section. And then he moves over and he starts to elaborate in chapter 2 about some things. And he starts to talk about uh, another issue that wealth and riches leads to in life. And that's playing favorites. And so what is playing favorites? It's giving unfair or preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Playing favorites has its roots in our prejudices, okay? Prejudice is where we prejudge someone or something based upon outward appearance. And James is telling us that a lot of people that have resources available to them that fall under this category of being rich have a tendency to prejudge people and make decisions in life based on outward appearances. Now, I think that most of us have done this, okay? I know that I've looked at people and prejudged them based upon what I saw on the outside of them. You know, we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden somebody starts coming this way, and they're, you know, they're ripped jeans, they're all dirty, their hair is a mess, their shirt's all dirty, and you can smell them coming from half a block away, and so you're like, oh, so you slide on over to the other side of the street, so you don't have to walk past them, you know. Um, whereas if a guy with a suit was coming down the street, he had some fresh cologne on, you wouldn't think anything else of it. You'd just keep on walking, you know. Or maybe it's those, uh, some, 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 some kids that your friends uh, or your, some kids that your kids looked at and said, oh, I'd like to be friends with them. But something doesn't sit right. They don't drive the nicest car. Or maybe their, their house isn't the biggest house. Or, or their clothes are not the nicest clothes. Or maybe the smell that's coming off of the child is not exactly what you want. And so we prejudge and we say, you know what? That is not friend material for my child. But the kid who lives in a nice neighborhood and wears nice clothes, he's cool for them to hang out with. I personally had this, like, 
when I was in youth ministry, I had all kinds of crazy kids showing up, okay? Um, and I was told multiple times by parents, my kids can't be friends with any of the kids in the youth ministry. And I would say, why? Well, do you see their clothes? Do you see how they smell? Do you see their hair? Um, man, they can't be friends with them. And, and, and I was blown away, and it was usually based upon outward finances. It was based on whether or not the kid had money. And their family was at least middle class. And it's disturbing, but we really, if we were to all look at ourselves, that's kind of human nature. This was written thousands of years ago in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20, and it says this, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. This verse is just stating what we talked about. People want to be friends with somebody who's got money, right? I mean, you see, you, you've probably seen those stories on the news where somebody wins the Powerball and all of a sudden they've got $200 million and suddenly friends that, or people that they haven't talked to since middle school, you know, are calling them on the phone and saying, hey man, how you doing? Family members, yo, I found you on, uh, on Ancestry.com, you're like my 18th cousin, man, what's going on? And, you know, you have stuff like this. And my favorite one is this, I was uh, talking about that this talking about it this week with, uh, with Paul, and it's like, you know, you've got celebrities who have a lot of money, and they are just butt ugly, right? There, you look at them and you go, you are ugly, but they are married to the most gorgeous person you've ever seen in your life, okay? And you're like, what the heck? Well, you know that that person was, looked at them and saw their money, and that's why they were with them, okay? So I'm just being real here. I mean, you, some of you are looking at me like you never thought that way. Okay, I, I'm just being real with you because, man, I think that stuff all the time. I see somebody, I'm like, oh yeah. I remember that episode of Duck Dynasty when that show was really popular a long time ago and they were doing an interview because the three brothers look homeless, okay? They got these beards that are like out to here, you know, and, and, and their wives are beautiful. And uh, so somebody asked them, they said, are you just with your husband because of the amount of money they make? And they're like, no, 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 we were with them before uh, they, they before Duck Commander was a big thing. And so but, whatever, and so, but that was the thought I had when I saw them. I'm like, oh yeah, those women saw that money and they were like all over that. But anyways, all right. So being a little too real for you this morning, maybe. All right. But I've even had people say this to me. You know, the church is, when the church is in a, experiencing a financial difficulty, they'll say, we just need to reach some rich people. What? We just need to reach some people. That's all we need to do. We don't need to reach rich people. We need to reach people for Jesus. That will turn things around. But James is letting us know that living our lives like that, us prejudging and showing favorites, is in actuality a sin. God is not a God of favorites. He tells us in Acts 10.34, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. This was in relation to reaching the Gentiles, reaching those who were not Jewish, and God moved and worked amongst them, and it took that to happen for the Jews to realize that the message of the gospel was not just for them, the chosen people, but it was for us, the lowly, the non-Jewish, who were seen as scum of the earth. Our God is not a God of favorites, and he doesn't want us to play favorites either because he makes it clear that if we do, we are a lawbreaker. We are not to bring honor to the rich 
We are not to bring honor to those with money at the expense of those without money. But see, this goes beyond money. We're not to show favoritism at all in the church. I'm going to dig into something here that may tick a few people off, and so I'm just letting you know that ahead of time. We're not to show favoritism based on education. We're not to show favoritism based on someone's past. And we're not to show favoritism based on someone's ethnic or racial background. Well, get ready, okay? I, I, <laughs> I just said that. Now I'm going to go into a little detail. See, the church has really dropped the ball on that last one. Can I be straight up here? We've turned it into a political issue when it's really a sin issue. See, James goes into great detail to make sure that we understand that in showing favoritism in any form, we are breaking the law just like someone who commits adultery or murder. And I know most of you are thinking, I treat all people the same. I don't show favoritism to white people or over other people. Well, see, our problem is that we look at the race issue in America through our white eyes. Through what we've experienced in life, we think that that's non-white people's experience in our country, but it's not. Here's what I mean by that. 13% of the population of the United States is black. 40% of the prison population in the U.S. is black. Here's what happens. If you are white, you are more likely to get a sentence that involves probation and not jail time than if you're black. That's a problem. We are getting, as white people, preferential treatment. We generally don't get pulled over by the police because the lights that light up our license plate are out. I drove for months with my license plate not lit in our minivan. Never got pulled over once. I have many friends who are not white who have been pulled over for that very thing. We need to be aware that this is happening in our churches, and in our country. Our life experience, what we've experienced of America, is not necessarily someone else's experience of our country. But then when we see it, we can't just sit there and say, man, that sucks. We have to be a vocal voice speaking out against those sorts of things. Because if we don't, we are, we are letting favoritism run and rule everything. We have to be willing to act on it. If we were in that position, us as white Americans, we're in the position where people, where we were seeing, you know, 12% or 13% of the population, but yet we're 40% of the population in the American prison system, we would want our African American brothers and sisters in the church to speak out on that and to say something about it, and to, and to say, you know what, this is wrong, we can't have this going on. And so if we would want somebody to do that for us, we should do it for them as well. So in conclusion, what are we to do? What should be our response to everything that I said? Well, the first thing is, all of us in this room really need to accept the fact that we're rich. Okay, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter anything. 
All of us in this room have access to resources that people in other countries can't even imagine. We're not Jeff Bezos rich, but we're rich. It's just who we are. There's nothing we can do about it. We can't change it. We were born here. This is what the cards we were dealt. So we need to spend our days constantly examining our hearts, making sure that our faith and our trust is not in the resources that we have from this world. We have to continually make sure that our faith and that our trust, first and foremost, above everything else, is above the God who is not going to disappear, the God who is not going to leave, the God who is going to be here regardless of what happens to the economy. And we need to put our faith and our trust there. And so examine our hearts. We need to examine our hearts each and every single day. And we need to show that by when we walk through the doors of a church, whether it's this church or another church, our expectation should be the expectation of a powerful encounter with a God who wants to move in each one of our circumstances. See, some of you guys are sitting in that you come in here week after week after week, and there's something holding your life. There's some sort of thing that's got its claws, its hands, its grips in your life. And every week you walk out with the same thing holding on to you. The church should not be that. This should be a place where you walk in and by the power and presence of God, people have that stuff broken off of their lives and are set free. <laughs> Healing should not be something that we hear about from other places in the world. Healing should be something that someone walks in here and we gather around them on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and we begin to pray and we see tumors go away. We see God do things. This should be a place where that happens and takes place. But it involves us moving our trust from where we keep it to where it should be as a faith in Jesus and what He can accomplish and what He can do. And then the second thing, we need to speak up and stand up against favoritism in any and all forms. We can't accept it. We can't let our kids believe it, tolerate it, or act it out. We've got to say, you know what? We're not going to show favorites in the kingdom of God because God is not about favorites, but God views each and every single one of us as equals. Whether you've got a lot or you've got a little. And so stand up and speak out when we see favoritism happening. And as we do that, hopefully we'll see God start to move and work more in this place. I mean, our hope for this year is for renewal and revival to happen. And this is part of the process in getting our focus in the right place. So let's live this out. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. 
You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.